All right, good morning. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, breaking open your word, Lord, and asking you to pour your spirit upon us and feed us from your word. May we set aside the distractions of this world that may be uh, trying to infiltrate our minds this morning, the, the worries, the questions, the thoughts that we have. May, may they all be set aside as we dive into your word. Lord, as we get into your word this morning, may we not think about how this applies to others, but may we think about how this applies to ourselves. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. We have returned again to Ephesians, and again this week, Paul is continuing to deal with the believer's walk. And we keep asking ourselves, it seems like week after week, Paul is continuing to narrow down on the believer's walk, and we ask ourselves, why does Paul keep returning to the, to the believer's walk? And the reason is, is I believe that the church in Ephesus has the same problem that many churches have today. And that is, too many believers have found themselves comfortable and compromised. They found themselves comfortable uh, straddling the fence, not walking fully in the light. Too many Christians are uh, Christians in their beliefs, but it seems that too many Christians are not Christians in their calendar. They're not Christians on Monday. They're not Christians on Tuesday. But what they believe is Christianity to be true. So Paul commits to us in chapter 5 and reminds us even to this point that the Christians should walk different than the world. He even more says that the Christians should more than walk than different in the world. He says the Christians should dress differently than the world. Now, this doesn't call us to put on none outfits. This doesn't call us to dress like Amish people, but it does call for modesty. Even more, he says that we should walk differently. We should dress differently. He says even more that for those who say that they have this new life in Christ, they should talk differently. We shouldn't have the same vocabulary as the world. So when we closed last week, Paul told us that 
in order to follow this track, you got to have the right leaders. So when he gets into Ephesians chapter 1, he says that we should be followers of God. Even more about being followers of God, he says that we should walk in the love, treat others with the same love that we have experienced in Christ. And then he goes on to say that the walk that we should have in Christ is a sacrificial walk. And this sacrificial walk offers up a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. Not only did he show us a demonstrated walk, but he also showed us the discarded walk, the walk that's done away with, the walk that we leave behind. He showed that to us in verses 3 through 5. That He said the, the walk that we have done away with is the walk that the idolaters have, the, the idolaters of the world, how they follow after all of these strange gods, how they live for fornication, how they thrive on covetousness and all of these things. But then he says, not only is it that we should walk, we should not walk as they walk, but even more, Paul will say that we shouldn't walk as they walk, but we shouldn't even be partakers of them and not to be deceived. But why? That's where we pick up here this morning in verse number eight. He said, most of us know how the world behaves. If you're saved, you understand how the world behaves, right? And he even brings this to our attention in verse number eight when he says, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And this is to say that for some time, some of us, for some time, we were in darkness. Or it is to say, for those who were saved, uh, for some time, ye were formerly in darkness. But now we are in the light of the Lord. This is the striking contrast that Paul keeps trying to bring to our attention. For those who are in Christ, the striking contrast is that when you were lost, you were in darkness, but now that you are saved, you are in light. This is one of the few things in our life that cannot be mixed, meaning light with darkness. Light refuses to coexist with darkness. Light drives out darkness. There is no fellowship with light and darkness. Second Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship have unrighteousness with righteousness and for what communion hath light with darkness they don't fellowship at all there may be many instances in our life and even in our career where we say well you know that is a rule but it is a gray area paul says when it comes to the walk of a believer there is no gray area. There's no grayness at all. There is either truth or falsehood. There is either good or bad. There is either right or wrong. Paul said you understand that now because you once walked in this darkness, but now you are in the light. Now, where do we see this? Right there when he says, for ye were sometimes in darkness. For ye were formerly in darkness. Meaning that darkness is representative, the characteristics of darkness was represented in verses 3 through 5. So he says, for ye were 
sometimes, formerly in darkness. This is BC talk. This is before Christ's talk in your life. This is how you behave. But he closes out this verse number eight with AD talk. That's how you were, but this is how you are now. Ye are now light in the Lord. Here recently, the Gossets had a, a fire that took the power out of their home. They remained in darkness. When I went over there and seen Brother Ivan as we tried to work through the situation, Brother Ivan had more lights on him than he knew what to do with. He glued. Because in his home was complete darkness. If you live in this community, I don't know what it is. Maybe we have the worst power grid in Cincinnati. You understand what it means to be without power. We find ourselves all the time. But in this moment of darkness, this darkness that we find ourselves in, in our home and these power. He said, this is exactly where you formerly were. But through salvation, we've been given this light. Now, this doesn't mean at salvation we fully understand everything. But Paul will go on to say here that we have been given a light. And this light that we have been given is to help us understand God's word. Now we can get an understanding. Now notice what he says here. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Did you see that? You are light. That's what he says. But he doesn't leave it there. He says you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. I could put it into you into another perspective here. They say the moon is 14 million plus square miles. It has no trees, no ponds, no people, no houses, no nothing. Compared to Earth, you could really say the moon is rather unimpressive. But yet, as barren and as simple, so to say, the moon is, how is it that all the way down here on earth, we know exactly where the moon is? The reason we know exactly where the moon is is not because the moon produces any light at all. Inside of the moon itself, it cannot produce any light just like the sun, but what the moon does is that it reflects the light from the sun. And because it's reflecting the light from the sun, it, we can see it in the darkness. So what he says here in verse number eight, that ye are light in the Lord. That means without the Lord, you don't bear a light. That means when you find yourself separated from the Lord, you cannot be a light. But for in order for a Christian to be the light in darkness, he must first have himself aligned with the sun. And when we reflect light, it, we're reflecting light not based on our position in this world, meaning that we are not a light in this world because we have money. We're not a light in this world because we have a new vehicle. We're not a light in this world because of some kind of asset that we have. But we are a light in this world because we are reflecting 
the light of Christ. There is nothing great about us, but who is shining through us is so great that it can catch our attention in a dark land. And it's so great that it can catch the attention of sinners in this dark land. Paul says you shine the brightest when you find yourself in that alignment. But he ends verse 8 to say, walk as children of light. So he says to the believer, get aligned, uh, be bright, but also know that this word walk is present imperative. You know, oftentimes we find ourselves in a situation where we say we're going to walk as children of light in the Lord, but it really seems that we only shine bright in the church house. But the word walk means that you are in motion. It means that you are constantly moving. Wherever the moon, as it orbits the earth, wherever the moon goes, it always is staying in direct alignment with the sun to put forth its light. But even more, it is to say that walk as children of light is present imperative to say that as you're navigating through this Christian life, no matter where you go, whether it's on the workplace, whether it's in the church house, whether it's with your family, you should always find yourself in a place where you are re reflecting the light of Christ. And if it is also to say that if we are to walk in a manner that we are always reflecting the light of Christ, that Paul's cautionary warning to us is to never find yourself where in a place where sin can overshadow the light that you're supposed to have. Oftentimes, the place where we can have the greatest impact in people's life is also where Satan will present, present the greatest lures to draw us into sin. This is how the great war, actually we're going to speak out of that tonight in Revelations, this great war, this war that we have with Satan. This is the war we have as we live this Christian life. So he challenges them to walk as children of light. It is a command to consistency. It is a command to faithfulness. It is a command to continual fellowship that we will always be in a place where we can see the sun. Now, even further in these verses 8 through 14, Paul four or five times brings us to this reminder that we're supposed to be a light. In verse number 9, he points out that being a light is a fruit of a new life. So he says this new life, this light that you have is the fruit of the spirit. Oftentimes this here in this text is referred to also not only the fruit of the spirit, but is the fruit that there is a light inside of you. When we get saved, the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of us. So this is fruit of the light that is in us. One commentator Wrote, wrote a story about a man who he had led to Christ. The man, in his words, was a domestic tyrant. He was known for being a terrible drunk within the neighborhood. He was a terrible husband, a terrible father. His co-workers feared him, and his language was of the worst of the worst. One day, this 
pastor was given the opportunity to preach this man, and the Lord saved him. Before long, he would in his own testimony say that after the Lord saved him, food would begin to appear on his table. He would begin to be a great father. He had a desire to go to church. He had a desire to live for the Lord. He loved singing hymns, but his co-workers did not like this at all. They instead enjoyed the man who would drink and party with them all. One day at lunchtime, while this man had given himself to read the word of God, his co-workers began to mock him and say, do you believe everything the Bible says? Tell me you don't believe that tall tale that Jesus turned water to wine. The man who had just been saved hung his head and said, listen, I believe the entirety of scriptures, though I cannot fully explain it to you. And while I cannot explain to you how Jesus turned water into wine, what I can tell you is that Jesus turned beer into furniture in my home. His point was loud and clear. The light of Christ in his life had produced a dynamic change in his home. And if we are to confess and we make this profession that Christ has saved us, that Christ has changed us, it should have produced a dynamic change in our life. He goes on to say that the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness and righteousness in truth, it produces goodness, it produces righteousness, it produces beams of truth. And by the way, we live in a society that tries to oftentimes add excuses to justify when someone does wrong. They say, well, they've done wrong because they don't have a father in the home. No, they've done wrong because they don't have a mother in the home. Well, they've been poor their whole life. But for those who are in Christ, we have been gifted with a supernatural understanding of rights and wrong. Uh, and when we do right, verse 11 says, and having no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Um, in verse number 12, for it is a shame to even speak those things which are done to them in secret. But all things which are reproved are made manifest by the light for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So when we do the things which are in the light, they are proven as acceptable unto the Lord. And we behave this way because we are reflecting the Lord. But even more to say that we also shine light upon these things which are not approved of the Lord those things which are not acceptable unto him and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them for it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. He says not only should fellowship not exist with those things that are in darkness, but even further we should find ourselves reproving them. And when someone produces or tries to propagate sin before us, he says, reprove him. The same word is used in, I think it's Luke chapter 13 when John the Baptist, or Luke chapter 3, where John the Baptist finds himself between, uh, before Herod and Herodias. 
as John the Baptist stood before Herod, he reproved him. He, why? He reproved him because Herod had stolen his brother Philip's wife. But he reproved this sin, and it would end up costing John the Baptist his life. But yet he still reproved it. You see, this is the trouble that we face today as believers. We understand sin is sin, but we choke up about when it comes to reproving sin as sin because of the great cost of rebuking the ideology of this world. But Paul says, not only are we not supposed to have fellowship with them, not only are we not supposed to be involved in these things, but we should even further reprove them. Now, I do think that there is a fine balance to all of this. I think if you have someone who's in your church, or I'm not in your church, hopefully not in the church, Lord help us, but in your workplace who is involved in sin, and you know that they're involved in sin. I, I'm not suggesting that every time you go, you see them, you start re- rebuking them of their sin. You know, you, you're going to find yourself probably in a hostile environment. But I'm also saying that it is the same statement to say that it shouldn't be that this sin is propagated in front of you and you've never said nothing about it. We have to make clear where we stand. And even more, we should constantly be drawing people to Christ. We have a responsibility to warn others because we have the light. He said even more. Not only do we have the light, not only are we supposed to reprove others, but he goes on to say in verse number 12, it is for it is a shame to even speak of those things which are done of them in secret. It seems like in the world today that we live in, nothing's sacred. Matter of fact, that which should be sacred is a sacred and even return. The world has used it as a mockery to propagate their own sins. And they've turned perversion even into entertainment. He says, it's not only shameful and filthy to do them, but it's shameful and filthy to even talk about those. But in verse 13, he says, all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So that which is shown and reproved is done through Christ who is the light. So he says we are to walk in the light. We are to be children of the light. We are reflections of the light. But even more, he says in verse 10, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. This is a definite article, the So this is to say that the sins of the world are not made manifest by us. It's not me who's proving your sinful actions to be sin. It is the, it is the definite article here that they are made manifest by the light. Who is the light? It is Christ. It is Christ's light that brings to an understanding of what is sin in this world. So he closes this in verse 14. He says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now there is many debates to whom this belongs. There are debates back and forth. Some say that Paul is making this statement towards believers. Others say that 
he's making this statement towards unbelievers. Well, I can see how it could go both ways, so I'll just give you both. But notice here he says, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. I guess you could put it in this kind of a thought process. If today you go home and you take a nap this afternoon and you begin to, as soon as you fall into this deep sleep, your house begins to fill up with carbon monoxide. And as your house is filling up with carbon monoxide, someone starts to cry, wake up, wake up, get up, get out. And encouraging you, commanding you to, to get up and get out of your house. Save yourself. Now, you don't obey this by waking yourself up, but the loud command to wake up has woken you up. So the command that is informing you that you are in grave danger and that you must get out has stirred in you that you must escape. So in the lost application, I would say when Paul is challenging them, awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. I guess what Paul is saying to those who are lost and without Christ, Paul is crying out to them saying, it's time to wake up. Wake up to your situation. Wake up to the reality. You are, you are dead in trespasses and sins. Your spiritual life is filled with carbon monoxide. And if you do not repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, then surely you will likewise perish. This is the call that light gives to darkness. It should be our desires as we see people out in the world that we are constantly going about crying out to the unbeliever, awake, awake, awake. Why? Because we understand the danger, the imminent danger in which they live. Literally, the time in which the Lord may return is unknown to us. It could be today, it could be tomorrow, and it could be next week. And I know many will say, and I've heard people say, well, that's the same old message I've heard. And it's still nevertheless true. So he says, awake. Even more, Paul says, awake thou that sleepest. What is this? To the believers, the call to wake up. The, the, the call to get serious. The call to get more committed. Too many believers have found themselves satisfied in their Christian walk. Satisfied. Stagnated, really, but they're satisfied. Satisfied with their relationship. Satisfied with the fellowship that they have with the Lord. And they have brought themselves to a, a, a place of stagnation. But Paul says to them, arise, awake, awake. It is time. Now, even more to think about this, how he says, if you'll just awake and you'll just get up and you'll just go, he says that Christ will give you light. To me, it is also even more to recognize that if we will just get up from being stagnated, if we will just get serious about 
being the light that we're supposed to be to this lost and dying world. He, the promise is that he will give us the light we need to shine forth in darkness. Awake, awake, thou that sleepest, and Christ will give you light. Paul is not going to relent on this matter about being light in the darkness. He's not going to ease up on what it means to walk. We have to be reminded constantly about our Christian walk. It's almost sad, but it is the reality of the world in which we live that Paul has dedicated so much time to encouraging believers to act like believers. Strange. It's strange that we have experienced this amazing gift that we have in this great salvation. And then in return, we have to constantly be reminded about this amazing gift that we have in this great salvation. And that we have to be encouraged so much, so much, that other people don't have the hope that you have. I mean, think about this. And I'd leave this here. If your child, relative, mother, father, grandfather, whoever you hold dear, the closest person you hold dear to you in your life, if they had cancer, dying, you know that if they died and when they die, you will never see them again. And your neighbor had cancer also, the same cancer that your dear loved one is dying from. And they found the medicine to cure them of this cancer. And they never told you about this medicine that was the cure. What kind of feelings do you think they would feel towards you? What kind of emotions would you feel? Let me, let me put it in another perspective here. I always think about the great white throne judgment. And when you get to the end of Revelations, like 20, 21, the Bible says we're going to see death and hell, all of it. This great judgment, we're going to see death and hell cast into the lake of fire. It is of my personal belief that this, when after this great white throne judgment, the Bible says that God himself will wipe away the tears from our eyes. I think the tears that will be wiped away from our eyes is because it's the reality. Now, listen, they will go to hell, and the Bible says that we will say amen and amen. Meaning that no matter how much you love your dearest loved one here, when we get to heaven, we will completely be in agreement with God that he is the righteous judge, and because they have not repented of their sins and placed their faith in Christ, this is exactly what they deserved. But let me spin it off a little bit. Don't think I've fled from my beliefs, but I just want to put this before you. What do you think it's going to feel like if you can see the great white throne judgment one day and you see your neighbors get judged and cast into hell and you never told them about the gospel? 
what do you think it's going to be like to see your spouse go to hell? And you couldn't live like the light that you're supposed to be in this life. Of course, God's going to have to wipe away the tears from your eyes because we will be brought to the reality of how we failed him and how we failed to be the gospel presentation that we should have been in this life. How heartbroken do you think we're going to be seeing all these people that we care about on their way to hell, experiencing the judgment that we was delivered from because someone lived like the light? you couldn't couldn't get your act together well you know oh satan oh you know this you know you know why paul is challenging the believers to walk as light because you can walk as light we are not bound to satan we are not bound to sin we're not bound to live we are not bound to live like we have power over sin and yet we still live like we're captives to it This is why when we come back next week and we turn back to Ephesians, guess what we're going to learn about? Walking as light again. Because Paul's not done exhausting it, begging people, just just be a Christian. It's crazy, right? Just be a Christian. Be a believer. Just give your life to Christ like you said you would. Be it. People are on their way to hell. Believe it or not. People complaining about their troubles and their sorrows and the things that they're experienced in their life. Have you offered the antidote? Can't you remember for you were sometimes in darkness? I mean, could you imagine the, the grief that would be upon us if we had to confess all the sins that we had in our life before Christ? We were sometimes there. And yet people are still there today. So Paul is going to continue to beg and beg in the most strangest way for Christians to just be Christians. Just walk in love. To live like, live like heaven is what's at stake. Live like you have the answer to the lost and dying world. Walk as light. Don't be partakers with sin. Don't be partakers with the world. Don't give time to it. Don't entangle yourselves with their talks. Don't entangle yourselves with their speech. Just be who you are. And if you're not going to be who you say you are, then recognize there's something even greater wrong with you. That maybe you're on the, uh, the brink of a false confession. I'm often fearful when little kids come to Christ And then they come back to you and they say, I'm saved, right? Well, I don't want to tell them that. And Paul didn't tell them nobody that either, even as older Christians. He said, you know what? I'm not going to tell you that you're saved. You made a confession. That's great. You say you placed your faith in Christ. That's great. You committed yourself to serve the Lord here. That's great. But when they came to Paul and said, Paul, you know, I'm saved, right? He said, hey, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm not going to tell you whether you were saved or not. But what I can tell you is, It is, if you don't feel the chastising hand, we're just going to stay doctrine on this. If you're living in sin and you don't feel the chastising hand of the Lord upon you and his promise is that he will chastise those that will belong to you, that's a note for yourself. If you have no desire for his word, if you have no desire to get in his word and study his word, if you don't, if you're not burdened for others, what's wrong? 
We have to work through this. Something is wrong with modern day Christianity and something was wrong with the Christians in Ephesus that they just refused, refused to be the light. And I pray that I can be the light that I'm supposed to be because my prayer is that if my kids grow up and their children have children, that there are going to be people around them committed to Christ, that they will be a light to reach them for Christ. At the end of all of this, what does this matter? Because why? In the end, we're going to be with Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, it's, it's, it's challenging to constantly be brought to this understanding that we need to be more like you. That chapters of scripture would be to reminding us that we're, we're no longer the way we used to be. To remind us that we're no longer to behave and to, to partake with the things of the world. That there's no such thing as coexistence of this new life in Christ and sin. We are either children of light or children of disobedience. Lord, I pray that you'll be with us. Strengthen us this morning. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.